Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, November 10. In judging good taste in the arts, ask yourself, what does this piece of music, this painting, this carving, this poem, drama, or novel do to my state of mind? Has it a soothing or an uplifting influence? Does it help to induce in myself a state of harmony or wisdom or some other high quality? To produce good art requires far more more than skill. For art represents states of consciousness. Ask yourself, would I like to receive someone into my home who demonstrates these qualities in his work? Swamiji has a lot to say about art. And the state of art in the world today is not as elevated as it could be. Swamiji's written a number. Well, he's written one book, but he, he's, he worked on it for a long time. Art as a Hidden Message, it was called for a while. The Artist as a Channel, it was called. Art as a Path to Self-Realization. Um, these are all just different working titles that he went through. But all of it is about how the, the technique of art is one thing, but the real issue of art is what kind of vibrations are you putting across. And those, again, every all the premises of this book are that we are committed to being instruments of high vibrations and that we are committed to living our lives in such a way that everything in our life helps us to elevate our vibration rather than to bring it down. People can be extremely skillful. They can be technicians and they can even have what I will call inspiration, which is a great force of energy to create a piece of music, a poem, a painting, or whatever it might be. But that vibration will also have a quality, a quality between shadow and light. And so there, these days there's some really powerful creative work that's being done that is powerfully dark. And uh, I, I, I'm going to speak of things that are I- iconically recognized as positive, but for me are just unbearable. I remember I went to a movie, I believe it was a Batman movie, and it was like, this was like 15 years ago, God knows what they're like now. And I sat in that movie for about 10 minutes and it was so dark. And the fact that it was so well done made the darkness even worse. Now, of course, I didn't sit through the movie. I didn't know whether good triumphed over evil because I was with a group of people who didn't seem to mind being there. After 10 minutes, I realized, I don't have to stay. And I just got up and walked out. And I just went back to the car and waited for my friends to come out. And I never minded missing anything about that movie. Even when I saw... The Tolkien trilogy, the, oh, the, those, those books, which I've read several times and have really always loved. But when I went to see the film version of it, it's one thing to have evil forces described in a book. And it's sort of like you can imagine evil only to the extent that, that you either know it or are it. But when it's so, you know, my idea of evil was significant enough to make the story work. But when I went into the movie 
and they had depicted the evil so effectively. I just thought, I don't want this in my consciousness. I just, and so I've never seen those movies. Because I just, what, what do I need that for? And I know some people, you're going to defend it, you're going to say that you like it, and everybody has your taste. I mean, you don't have to like this book. And you don't have to like the way I talk about it. But if I'm going to talk about it, I have to say what I think is true. And it's the same, people will put art in their houses. My, one of my friends, after she came to Ananda and began to understand the vibrations of art, not only the technical excellence of them, she said for her entire childhood, there was a picture on the wall, a very well done portrait of somebody who, who just looked like they were about to commit suicide. <laughs> I mean, it, was, it had a name, something, you know, like the last stages of depression, and she said she ate all her, all her meals as a child, you know, in, in sight of this human being having this just miserable meltdown of despair. And, you know, now she laughs at it. But she said, why did my parents have that in the house? Why did they think it was suitable to have a picture like that where there were little children growing up? Well, it was good art. It might even have been a famous or a valuable piece of art. But it wasn't good consciousness. And in that sense, in the real definition of what art is for, which is creative self-expression, is there for us not only to understand our emotions and our feelings, but to gradually elevate and transcend them. So Swami has this, this, um, you know, this question that he asks, when you look at a painting that even conveys very well some sort of dark or disharmonious or fractured picture of reality, you ask yourself, would I like to have dinner with this person? Would I like to have them as a house guest? Do I want this person as a roommate? Do I want someone whose view of life is so disturbing? Would I want, would I want that person for company? And if I don't want that person for company, why do I want his art in my house? And see, nowadays in our society, the more fractured, the more crazy things are, uh, the more dark, the more shocking. This is all considered to be in the positive. But what this is all indicative of is, is a disintegrating civilization. <laughs> this is not like new freedom for us. This is falling apart at the seams. Many years ago, this wonderful man who may still, have, may still be known, Joseph Campbell, did a lot of work. Um, write, he wrote books and he did a very well-received television series in which he talked about great myths and great traditional stories and archetypes. And it was very, very popular, and I and many people watched it and enjoyed it greatly. And he talked about how a society is formed by these mythic stories, these great stories that, um, that everybody is a part of. It's said that the culture of India, when Kali Yuga, when when Kali Yuga was descending, when the Dark Age on the planet was happening, Veda Vyasa wrote the epics. He wrote the Mahabharata and the Ramayana was written. They were, they were written down because those stories would keep high truths alive during this Dark Age. And in fact, in Autobiography of a Yogi, Master talks about that, how his mother would call from these epic stories in order to illustrate the points of the discipline that she was imposing on her children. And most Indians, even now that you know, grew up with these stories. And the stories also of the deities and so on. And what they did is they were heroic 
They were stories of heroism, or they were stories of the consequences of right and wrong behavior, but communicated in such a way that even when, when civilization was not high and consciousness was somewhat low, people could still absorb it and understand, and the values were kept in place. I remember Swami Kriyananda brought back from Bali when he, when he went on a trip there. This would probably have been about 1976 or 78. He went through Bali on a world tour. And he came home, and it's still on display in the place which is called Crystal Hermitage, which is the home he has in California in the Ananda village. And it's a piece of carving. It's a bit curved like this, and it's the Balinese style. And it's a dragon consuming it, like there's a dragon at the bottom with its mouth open. There's a human being being consumed by it. And I believe it has many, many um, stories associated, specifically associated with it. But when I heard Joseph Campbell talk, he was talking about a, a, an archetypal myth in which the son, the son, S-O-N, when the, when the child consumes its father. And you sort of hear about that as like, what a, what a horrible tale. The, the child is eating the father. And I, I don't know if that was part of the symbol of that Balinese statue, but it, it made me think of it. Because, in fact, the son does consume the father. As soon as the, the man becomes the father of a son, everything about his life is now dedicated to the raising of that son. I mean, I remember when I realized that my, my parents were so unspontaneous about everything they did. Everything had to be planned and organized, and they wouldn't just head off on a journey at the drop of a hat. And I realized the reason they were so unspontaneous is because they had three children to take care of. <laughs> and that I, in my you know, selfish arrogance, criticized him, my father, I was thinking in this way, for his lack of spontaneity and for his concern for how things are going to work out because he was caring for me. And he had to give up a great deal of what he would have done if there hadn't been me and my brother and my sister also. So the idea that the, the archetypal story of the son eating his father just helped put us into perspective. I, I cease to be important. I am there literally to feed my child and then to feed my child with opportunities. And, it's, and it is my joy to do that. It is my God-given divine responsibility and the sacrifice of myself is no sacrifice because I do it out of pure selfless love. My friend went, uh, said to me after his sons were born, he said, I was a very generous person. He said, I never thought of myself as selfish. He said, but I, I didn't know what self, selflessness really was until my sons were born. He said, and then I realized that I, I, I ceased to have any importance to myself. He said, the only thing that was important was my sons. And I realized I'd really never loved unselfishly until they were born. So that's the other side of it. Now, when Joseph Campbell was telling these stories and talking about how these myths form culture and how they hold societies together and create common values and morality and aspiration and religion, and then the interviewer in this television series said to him basically that American culture as it presently stands 
which is even more true now, he said, we, we don't have any of these shared myths. We don't have any of these shared rituals. We don't have any of this shared archetypal understanding about reality. He says, what happens to a culture when you don't have that? And I, I still remember Joseph Campbell just sort of leaned out of his chair and he kind of looked out the window and he just pointed out the window and he said, this. <laughs> just as simple as that. Yeah, this is what happens. Which is, we have no, we have no moral compass. We have no artistic compass. We have no sense of taste. It's like, if you feel it, do it. But there's a counter-movement to that because beauty is an aspect of the divine. Because love is beautiful, because joy is beautiful, because peace is beautiful. And it's not beauty. Well, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. I happen to think those jagged, fractured lines and that monster you know, tearing the female to pieces. I think that's beautiful. Well, it's not love. It's not kindness. It's not um, joy. It's not peace. It's, it's those qualities of consciousness that create beauty, harmony, unity, moving toward oneness, moving toward solutions, moving toward, toward joy, toward upliftment. And so when we look at art, don't, don't just ask yourself, are the lines interesting? Or, or is the whatever you ask yourself. What does it say? And, and have the courage to actually just say, what does it say? There's this um, coffee shop that I go to often, and I, I like the restaurant. They, have a, they, always have a, they always have an art show, and it changes often. And the art is almost always terrible. <laughs> Every once in a while, it's not so bad. And it's always noticeable. But my favorite of all time was really literally. There was this white canvas, and there were a whole bunch of little squares, just little squares, like postage stamp size. And they were all identical. It was like maybe a three-by-two-foot canvas, so there were a lot of them. And it actually said on the side, during this period, the artist was fascinated by the effect of repetition. And I thought, uh-huh. <laughs> yep, there it is, repetition. And maybe the artist was fascinated by repetition. Maybe he got some great meaning from it. But it was lost on me. You know, it was just, there it was. It was repetition. I, I felt like Joseph Campbell. What happens when you have no overarching myth? This. So, meaning in the arts. Joyful arts. This is something that people who are looking for upliftment of consciousness need both to be the instrument for and the patrons of. You know, to rescue this all-important aspect of human society and bring it back into a divine flow. So Swami says, in judging good taste in the arts, ask yourself, what does this piece of music, this painting, this carving, this poem, drama, or novel do to my state of mind? Has it a soothing or an uplifting influence? Does it help to induce in myself a state of harmony or wisdom or some other high quality? To produce good art requires far more than skill, for art represents states of consciousness, Ask yourself, would I like to receive someone into my home who demonstrates these qualities in his work? God bless you, my friends. 
Our work is made possible by inspired listeners, so if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you. Thank you.